Hello and welcome to a special episode of The Spectator's Podcast. I'm Kate Andrews, The Spectator's Economics Editor, and this podcast is sponsored by Smart Energy GB. Britain's high energy prices, insecure energy supply, and climate change commitments all suggest that people's relationship with energy will need to change. But will this mean a lower standard of living? Can we be smarter with how we consume energy? And what is the role played by smart meters in this transition? Smart Energy GB are a not-for-profit campaign trying to change the way people understand their relationship with energy. What are the pitfalls and the successes of smart meters? In this podcast, I'm joined today by their CEO, Dan Brooke. Hi, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) Very happy to have you here. Energy security is often seen to be a problem of supply. And you've been trying to make the case that we need to change the way that we look at demand for energy as well. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes, very important subject, energy security right now. You know, as everybody on the ground is feeling from the increase in prices at home and in their businesses. I mean, I guess energy security is a problem of supply and demand. On the demand side, one of the things that's happening in the moment is people are doing everything they can to try and save energy and saving energy, you know, millions of households around the country means we use less energy and therefore, you know, we're less reliant on it and by definition, therefore, less reliant on the imported element of it. So that I think is important, but there's also gains to be had, not just from the amount of energy that we use and the proportion that's imported, but also when we use it, because the system, the amount of energy used changes during the day and the peaks, let's call that the centre break of Coronation Street when people are making a cup of tea in their millions. That's when energy uses can be at its highest and those peaks are more likely to be fueled by energy that's imported from for example gas and i think that there are lots of gains to be made for energy security on those fronts also just improving energy efficiency in the country is quite a big issue in the uk i mean it's an issue throughout europe particularly the uk because of the age of our housing stock i mean probably what people would say that the biggest impact though at least for now is still on changing supply. So, you know, effectively that means being more reliant on the British weather, which we control and is very cheap and abundant. And that means that we can be less reliant on imported gas, for example. And that also means trying to electrify as many things as can be electrified, which are then run off a clean energy system powered by renewables, wind and solar. What do you make of the government's shake-up to the departments and, of course, the creation of this new Department for Energy Security and, notably, Net Zero? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really probably a very good thing. I mean, time will... I say probably because time will tell. It's great, given the crisis facing the planet, that there's a government department in one of the world's leading economies with net zero in the title. I think that is really good news. And energy security has become, I mean, it's always been an issue, but it's become a particularly acute issue now. So a department in a more laser-focused way, even more laser-focused way on those things, I think is going to be good. But some would say that the concept of energy security and net zero work against each other. What would you say to that? So I'd be interested in hearing more about that argument, actually, because what I actually see at the heart of the solution to both is the same thing, just coming in via different doors. So for net zero, it's 
electrifying as many things as possible and having that electricity generated by renewables in this country, principally wind. For energy security, that wind is homegrown. We're not relying on another country for it, and it's very cheap. So different crises and problems. I actually see a very similar solution, at least for the next 10 years or more. And I think that's what many people in the energy industry are working towards, is a system that is as much electrification as possible, powered by renewables, with more storage and so on because of the unreliable day-by-day nature of wind in particular. And alongside that, as it happens, because of the intermittent nature of renewables, a better handle on demand, Mm. which I think, you know, that's where smart meters come in. One of the fears is that the government will pivot not to encouraging people to use a different kind of energy, cleaner form of energy, but to use less energy. There was some suggestion late last year that the government would start asking people to use less energy around the issues we've been having with supply, of course, because of Russia's war against Ukraine. In October, however, they had so much backlash that one of the ministers, Graham Stewart, had to come out and say this wasn't going to happen. What do you make of that? Is, is this an attitude problem? Are you resigned to the fact that in order to be greener, we do have to use less energy? Or perhaps is using less energy not in and of itself a bad thing if you get more for it? I mean, how should we be understanding this concept of attitude and demand? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, our consumer attitudes, and this is sort of very much an area where our expertise lies, is changing quite dramatically just by force of circumstance as a result of the energy crisis. I think that the government, Jeremy Hunt, has said that he believes that as a nation we need to reduce our energy consumption by 15% in order to deal with a combination of these issues. And, you know, I'm sure that's possible, but through a number of different factors. One is either using less energy or using it more efficiently. I guess one of the things that's happening at the moment is we're probably all at home worried about the fact that our bill has gone up very significantly for energy and doing everything that we can to use less energy, but also to live and to survive. Our research has shown that there is the relationship between the things that people report doing most to save energy and the things that actually have the biggest impact on your bill, there's not necessarily exactly the relationship there that you know you would want if your goal is to reduce your bill, which, of course, for most people it is at the moment and probably at any time, but particularly at the moment. So people report a lot switching off lights, switching off things at the plug, and those things are important and they do save you energy, but they don't have nearly as much impact as more or less anything connected with your boiler Mm -hmm. so you know that's really your heating and your hot water i think the big question that people are going to be asking themselves and what they really want the answer to when we talk about all these transitions is will using less energy directly correlate to a lower standard of living or is it possible for for them to keep their standard of living while using less energy? Uh, Well, I think so, and it depends. For example, at home I have a time-of-use tariff, so the cost of my electricity changes throughout the day, and I've discovered that my appliances, all of which I inherited when I bought the property that I live in, you know, they're not particularly advanced uh, appliances, they've all got a timer on them. So I now set the washing machine to go off in the middle of the night when the cost of powering it on my tariff is very considerably lower. So, so for me, 
I'm trading a very small amount of convenience because I've got to program the appliance for for the same standard of living and, in fact, a much lower cost. Well, let's bring in the role that smart meters have to play here. To what extent do you think that having one is any better than the government just telling somebody to use less energy? Well, because it's because of the information that it provides. And we all know in life that if you've got information or data about something, you can have a look at your behaviour and improve. And people, if you've got a car, for example, or, you know, most people have got a, a phone and it tells you information about your screen time. And with that information, you go, oh, OK, if I don't like what the information about my behaviour is telling me, and that might be through the form of a bill, for example, you can do something to, to change it. But if you don't have the information, then it's just guesswork, which could be successful, but probably won't be as successful as if you've got the, you know, the hard data, which is the core of what smart meters provide. And that's of utility to people via the in-home display or an app if with some energy supplies you've got on your phone. But it's also a fantastic benefit to the system because the system now knows much more on a minute-by-minute basis who's using what where and when and can be predictive about that which when you've got a source of supply that you're increasingly relying on wind in particular that is less predictable and intermittent the flexible nature of the system that you've created will just work much more efficiently and in that respect it works probably exactly the same way satnav does Mm. so to boil it down the idea that knowledge is power One concern, Dan, about smart meters is that they can make certain groups, particularly older people, anxious about using energy as they see the meter tick up over the day. That can be quite concerning. So um, how do you deal with those concerns when it comes to older age groups, but indeed any age group that doesn't like watching that number tick up? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good and important question. And, you know, the fact is that millions and millions of people are struggling And for millions of people, they may have kind of reached their limit and they don't know what to do. They believe that they've cut their energy consumption as low as possible, and yet they still can't afford their bill. And that is a great concern, and that's always existed in the UK, but on a much smaller level than is the case now. The smart meter data is really just sort of telling you what the reality is. And, I mean, for most people, they use it, and they use it positively to help them change their behaviour, like we've just discussed. I mean, I guess I do understand that there will be some people who see the meter in front of them clocking up and think that that is a cause for concern. I mean, the thing is, you can put your tea cosy on top of it if you want to or unplug it, because while that is the display telling you what you're using, the smart meter probably in your cupboard is still operating. So you can disconnect it if you want to. But, you know, for those that don't want to, it's a great source of information that can help you change your behaviour and reduce your bill. One of the things that I'm reassured about is that we, one of the duties that we're given by the government, and we're a kind of in-between type of organisation, so we're created by the government, but we're, we're funded now and accountable to the energy industry for delivering the smart meter rollout. But one of the duties that we're given by government is to ensure that vulnerable customers are not left behind with the smart meter rollout. And although it's a sophisticated technological upgrade, actually, for example, you know, people over the age of 65, people in fuel poverty, are more likely than the average to have a smart meter. 
What do you make about privacy concerns? It used to be the case that customers had to opt in to share their data from their smart meters, but the regulations are changing so that they'll have to opt out. And there will be some who are nervous about their consumption becoming data for lots of different people to get a hold of. I mean, the system itself, one of the things that we've seen in the media is people saying, well, is, is it secure? And I think it's as secure as it can be. It's been designed in conjunction with the National Cyber Security Centre at GCHQ. So that, I hope, for people will be quite reassuring. For anyone who's concerned about data, so it's therefore, I think, very difficult to hack, and the information is not sent over Wi-Fi, and it's designed so that only energy suppliers have access to the data that's sent. Not even the manufacturer of the meter has any access to that communication channel. And the data that's actually being conveyed, none of it is personal data. It's all just the data that you're using. The alternative, if you don't have a smart meter for many people, is letting a stranger into your house to walk through your house or your flat to then have a look and take a meter reading. So, you know, I I understand the concern that people might have, but I think it's slightly one of those things that goes bump in the night. Mm. Dan, your previous experiences in communications, you previously worked as the chief marketing and communications officer at Channel 4. I'm curious as to how you've brought aspects of that role into your role now, which is a very different industry, but in terms of dealing with the communications of energy provision. Yeah, I mean, it is quite different, but in many ways there are similarities and they're both quite heavily regulated industries, for example, in, I I suppose, people in the, certainly the energy industry is a utility, people in the television industry would probably see themselves as a utility, whether or not they are actually required for survival is another matter. I think the thing that's been particularly useful is with the smart meter rollout, we're trying to appeal to everyone in the country to either get a smart meter or once they've got one to use it. And for most commercial companies, and my experience all been in the commercial world, you're appealing to some sort of subset of the population TV channels, particularly free-to-air TV channels, are a slight exception to that because Channel 4 is trying to get everybody to watch its TV programmes and, you know, people watch them some of the time. So that's been really valuable, I think, in recognising that, you know, look, in any group of people, but certainly a group of 65 million people, there's so many differences in all sorts of different ways in the attitudes that people have and the ways that you have to communicate with them and the messages that are likely to work with them. So, I mean, I'll give you one really interesting example is that with smart meters, for some people, it's the benefits to net zero or energy security that they find appealing. For other people, it's the way that they can help you monitor your energy use and save you money. And for some people, it's a combination of those two. But we found that there's certainly groups of vulnerable customers where actually the message isn't so important as the messenger if your carer or your loved one says to you look whatever the arguments are i think it would be a good thing for you to have a smart meter that's likely to be more persuasive than any of the kind of benefit reasons that we might give and that has had an impact on the work that we do with vulnerable customers so we do a lot of work in partnerships with people who have a relationship with vulnerable customers on the ground. So, for example, we have a big partnership with Carers UK, which is the biggest carers organisation in the UK, you know, and, and they're the messengers. 
Dan, my last question to you is around when you joined Smart Energy GB, because it was only back in 2020, but a lot has changed in that time. Uh, It feels like we're living in a a very different world, especially as it relates to energy. So what do you think has changed in terms of making the case for smart meters in that relatively short period of time? Yes, I think probably the biggest from our end of things has been this whole question about the mix of messages that different people respond to and that in general people do respond to different things in different combinations and at different times so it turns out that there are actually times to do with your domestic tasks like the new year for example or like when you're moving flat or house where you'll be much more inclined to make other changes to your life so we've got i think a Uh, certainly a sophisticated way of trying to get the right people at the right time with the right combination of messages. And I suppose there's also been probably quite a big switch. So during lockdown, etc., we were all, weren't we, engaged in how do we play our part in doing something that's going to be for the national good? So everybody doing their bit. And that, I think, meant that messages about smart meters that were to do with helping combat climate change, for example, really became quite effective because people's willingness to contribute to almost what is perceived as a, as a social good really came to the fore. Now there's still lots of people who care about that, but it's actually the personal benefits of seeing the energy usage on a day-by-day basis and at that and its effect on my bill that for many people is a much more important message now and we probably all hope don't we that the energy crisis changes and changes for the better but you know there's really no guarantee that that is going to happen necessarily soon because at the moment it's still volatile I would say but we are heading towards summer which is a positive thing but if the circumstances of the energy price changes and the wholesale price of gas comes down and therefore prices for us all at home can come down then I think probably a world of a mix of those messages in the balance will be overall will probably be most effective. That would be my guess. But as we've all learnt in the last four years, it's absolutely pointless trying to predict the way the world's going to go. It's very hard indeed. Dan, thanks for joining the Spectators podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. 